Wow, that hymn, what a great, uh, what a great song. What great lyrics, what, what it really sort of drives the stake through my heart concerning is, is my arrogance when it comes to life. Uh, you know, we really only grow in our relationship with Christ if we humble ourselves before him and lay all of our opinions and our, what we think we have power over and all of that down. Um, we just have to let that go. You know, that, that creates more problems in our relationships with other people than, than maybe anything else, as, at least as I sit here and am overcome by that thought this morning. Because we think we know better, or we think we should be in charge, or we should have the power, or whatever. Um, Jesus didn't do that, and he does. He has all of the power, and he, he has all of the control, yet when he came... On our behalf, he came and served us. He came and loved us. Uh, we throw threats at him and blame him for things. And he continues to be patient and, and walk with us. And, and, and sometimes, you know, that walking with us involves a stiff hand and a firm swat on the backside. I know I need that. I don't like it, it doesn't feel good, but it's what I need. You know, a few weeks ago, as we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2, we saw Solomon being pretty critical of, of wisdom. You know, he was, how empty wisdom was, he kept saying that. It's, 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 uh, it's smoke. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 18, he wrote, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge the more grief, and we know as we've studied this, and if this is your first time, I hope you can kind of catch up with this here as I sort of summarize this. We know that there's a caveat to many of Solomon's reflections in the book of Ecclesiastes, and that caveat is that when we try to do things only in our power, only in a human way, humanistically, that it will all fall short. The word that, that's in the book of Ecclesiastes many times, over 30 times, is the word hevel. And it's translated in our English language as, uh, our English translations as meaningless or vanity. But it's much deeper than that. It, it doesn't just mean without meaning, it means without substance. We, we see things that we want in life, we see things that, that we try to chase after in life, uh, but when we reach for them, they're like smoke. They don't, they don't give us what we think they're going to. There's no, there's no profit to them. There's no return. And we end up empty and confused. Now, in chapter 7, so last week, we've been trying to tackle two chapters at a time. Let's forget it. I mean, I had high hopes. Nope. So last week, I tackled chapter uh, Five, right? And then I sent a, a study guide home for you for chapter six, which is from a, a, a book by Warren Wiersbe. And uh, as I read through that, as I sent it to somebody else this week, I thought, wow, that probably just created more questions than it did answers. It was good reflection questions. So I'm, we're, gonna, we're just going to do one chapter, which still is a big chunk, but we're going to do one chapter a week now until the last, uh, the last message of the series, and then we're going to do chapter 11 and 12 together. But um, so the, the study questions that you have, those are for today's chapter. 
Next week we'll do chapter 8, then Pastor Michael will do chapter 9, and uh, then we'll do chapter 10, then we'll finish up with chapter 11 and 12. Okay? Um, In chapter 7, which is where we are this morning, if you would turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon is kind of doing an about-face Uh, from where he was earlier in what he wrote about wisdom. And uh, he becomes now, in the rest of this book, quite proverbial. Uh, It comes more from a smooth flow of writing to statements of proverb. And uh, here, in chapter 7, the teacher acknowledges that there are positive things in our life that can actually be gained by wisdom. That that wisdom is good as long as that wisdom has its roots in the fear of the Lord. Uh, There are a lot of things in life that are good. Laughter is good. Happiness is good. Joy is good. Comfort is good. Safety is good. Health is good. So many good things. But even as those things are good, uh, I think there are things that can make those things even better, right? Uh, for instance, we're, we're headed to the snowy range for our vacation, for four nights at least of it, and uh, one of my children wants to hike Medicine Bow Peak, uh, which is about a three-and-a-half-mile round trip if you leave from Lewis Lake, and it's about a six-mile round trip if you leave from uh, Marie, Lake Marie. And uh, I kind of think we're going to, I'd like to do the whole thing, but not the whole thing. So I think we leave a pickup at Lewis Lake, and then we drive down to Lake Marie, and we walk up, and then we walk down, but we don't have to walk all the way back, right? It works for me. Okay, climbing, I've done it before. I've, I, I've, got, I've done the short one. Uh, it's still hard, but, um, and it's good. But there's something that would make this, this hike better. And I thought this a week ago, but I didn't heed my own advice. What would, make that, what would make that hike better would be if I went for long walks for the two weeks leading up to that hike, right? Or I got on the elliptical and, and worked out for 30 minutes a day for two weeks. Even two weeks would make that hike better. Not two fun weeks, right? 30 minutes a day or twice a day on the elliptical, not fun. I don't enjoy it, uh, which is why it's covered in dust right now, right? But but that hard work would make the good thing better. Uh, I'm telling you, when I come back from vacation, I'll probably be sore if we actually do it. They're not guaranteed that I'm going to actually go do it, right? See, wisdom prepares us for things, and it also helps us find balance in our lives. That's, that's what I think Solomon is striking at as we look through chapter 7. Uh, there, there are benefits to wisdom. And, and there are benefits that are not smoke. They are not heaven. They're good. But we're going to see here in just a second um, that it's not quite what we thought it was. Uh, Chuck Swindoll makes this observation about our chapter. He says, the man... Uh, the, the preacher, the teacher, Solomon, is describing life under the sun, ragged edge, reality, without God. That's what he's been doing. That's why it's kind of discouraging or depressing. It's like, there's nothing good in here. Uh, well, that's, that's the way life is if you live it only under the sun. 
Thus far in his journey, Swindoll says, that has been his mindset and it continues to be. But from here on, something begins to come into focus. The wisdom that has been conspicuously absent, the terms wise and wisdom appear 35 times in the latter half of his journey. Why? Well, to quote my prodigal friend, Solomon is coming back home. He still has quite a way to travel, but his pilgrimage now takes a turn in the right direction. Perhaps that best explains the change in Solomon's writing style. When we arrive at the midpoint in his journal, instead of continuing the narrative style he has employed thus far, he turns to the proverbial style, brief, crisp, simple-sounding statements that offer insightful principles for handling life. That's what we're going to get today. Now, Solomon's transition in attitude here could be a result of him having been rebuked and corrected by God himself. Uh, Look at verse 5, chapter 7, Ecclesiastes. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. So Solomon shifts gears here possibly because the word of God has impacted his life. He's been searching in all the wrong places and in all the wrong things, and he has finally come home. He has finally, as as Jesus, when he tells the story of the prodigal son, he has finally come to his senses. And he turns to the right direction, and that's God. The correction of a wise God opened his eyes to his ungodly ways and have caused him to repent and look to wisdom from above rather than through the eyes of cynicism and only under the sun. It's it's as if he has decided to return to wisdom as a way of life. God-given wisdom. I mean, finally, right? Right? As we observe in point number one this morning, wisdom can make life better. And we're going to go through this essentially verse by verse this morning. Verse one, Solomon says, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. Wait, what does he mean by that? I mean, you could certainly draw a pretty cynical conclusion from verse one if it weren't for the hope that we have in Christ. See, that hope that we have in Christ, the hope that you have as one who has surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you know what? That makes your, the, the day of your death better than the day of your birth. It just does. Because of the reality of eternal life and the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, life on the earth is good. It, it really is. There are good things here. God blesses us with with many good things and with many good experiences. Those are the gift of God. But there is something better, and that is to be in the presence of the Lord himself. But that can't happen if life is lived only under the sun. It won't. Uh, Swindoll also said this. Both Paul and Solomon are saying this. If I had my druthers... I'd rather be out of this life and into eternity. I'd rather be beyond this veil of tears and home in glory, enjoying the presence of the Lord. That's a lot better. So in that sense, the joyous days following our death 
are better than the ones that we are living and that we have lived after our birth. Those who know the Lord in a personal and intimate matter, manner, um, Swindoll states, can make that statement. But then our feelings can short circuit what is actually better for us, can't they? You know, our feelings will lie to us a lot. Uh, we really have to be cautious about basing decisions on our feelings. When, when, when life gets hard and, and, and the world is pressing in and we're feeling discouraged and depressed, our feelings lead us to want to make a decision to just quit, just to give up. I'm done. Not going to do it anymore. I don't want to feel that way. Or that doesn't feel right to me. Now, that can be true. But we really need to test our feelings. You see, giving up is not the best thing. Not getting on the elliptical a week ago wasn't the best thing for me if indeed we climb Medicine Bow Peak, hike it. But it was the easy thing. So far, it's been the easy thing. Uh, and if I have to try and keep up with my children, I will pay for not working a little bit each day for those two weeks. Because that would have been better. Um, we need to continue. We need to continue running the race. We need to, as Solomon has, we need to admit the reality that life is hard. It's not easy. Just because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't take away all the difficulties in life. Uh, I struggle with things sometimes. I doubt. I wonder, uh, I wonder why God has, has done this or put me in this position or, or allowed a family to go through that certain thing. There, there are times when I wrestle with the reality of the difficulties of life. We need to be willing to do that. You know, because we can't put off this, this front to other people that just because I, Jesus Christ is my Savior, that my life is a lot easier than yours because it's not. It isn't. Now, that also shouldn't bring us to a point of doubt because we know that Jesus Christ lived, this, lived on this earth, walked a perfect life, was crucified, was dead, and now he's alive again. Amen? Amen. We cling to that truth in the midst of the reality that life is hard. Where else would we moor our lives to? When all of those disciples left, because after Jesus' really hard teaching and the, the other, the, t the 12 are standing around, Jesus says, well, so you guys going to leave too? And what was their response? Well, where else are we going to go? You are the Lord. It doesn't matter how hard your teaching is or how, how difficult life is. I cling to you. We must cling to him. We must cling to him. And sometimes our feelings don't want us to do that. They want us to think that he's left us. Um, sometimes we, living in a world that's fixated on entertainment, comfort, and safety, these things that we're going to hear today that are better are hard to hear. The first one, he says in verse 2, 3, and 4, is that sorrow is better than laughter. But how can that be? How can sorrow be better than laughter? It is better, verse 2, to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. Wait, 
I don't, does psychology tell us that? I don't know. Um, maybe. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. You see, Solomon isn't saying that we shouldn't laugh because he said earlier that there's a time for everything. And laughter's in that list. So he's not saying don't laugh. Uh, I think he's advocating for a degree of balance in our lives. Too much of even a good thing can end up not being very good for us. And as we consider life and eternity after one thing that sorrow does is bring us to the the reality of life. And that is that each and every one of us have an expiration date. And when we're living life good and we're rolling through life, we don't think about that. We're not, we don't often, we get lost. We, We forget and we forget to live for today. We live for a lot of other things, and we forget that one day, and I don't know when that day is going to be, I'm going to take my last breath. And when you're in a house of mourning, when you're at a funeral, the one thing, other than the sadness for the loss of the person that you dearly loved, that we are reminded of is the fact that we are not immortal. That we too will take our last breath. And in that sense, it is better when we recognize the wisdom that, that we're not going to live forever and living our life, we need to live our life not like we're going to live forever. And, we, and, and when we are in a moment of sorrow, we are reminded of that truth. Another pastor said, visiting a funeral parlor is better than gorging oneself at a banquet. <laughs> really? Or a 30-minute stroll through a graveyard is better than an entire afternoon at a carnival or spending a weekend in, in Vegas. Why? It's awareness. It's, it's the wisdom of awareness. That, that the reality that we, are, that we all know that our days are numbered. Sitting here this morning, we can look at a passage in the Old Testament where, where David says our days are numbered. We all have an expiration date. We just can't see it. And we can't see each other's. We have been given a number of days to live on this earth. But unfortunately, sometimes we forget that. And, and our priorities get all mixed up because we forget that. And, and being in a house or being in a moment of sorrow is better than than pleasure in a sense that it sobers us up to the fact that we need to have our eternal affairs in order every moment of every day. It's better. It's not an either and. It's not an either or. It's a both and, but the sorrow is actually better for us than the laughter. So a question for you this morning is, do you have your eternal affairs in order? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if you have not, and you take your last breath when you least expect it, you will stand before a righteous, just God. And he will know whether the blood of Jesus is covering your life or not. If you you haven't, Placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
then laughter is simply a distraction from what would be better for you in your life. Hope for eternity because we are in Christ. Jesus is far greater than any present pleasure. Our feelings don't want us to think that way. But it's true. Sorrow is better than laughter. Second, rebuke is better than praise. Verse 5 and 6. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless or hevel. Uh, reminded me of a proverb, Proverbs 27, 5 and 7. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. That's the New Living Translation. But, but our culture doesn't live that way. Well, you can't say anything bad about somebody that's living their life unbiblically because you might hurt their feelings, or I don't know, the go-to these days is you're, a, you're just a bigot. You're just unloving. I tell you what, if I ever called my mother a bigot for doing what, was, what I needed in my life, I wouldn't be standing before you here right now, probably. Um, look, we all need encouraged, and, and we need to encourage other people, but but praise and praise when true can do just that very thing. But we grow most when we are working at things, right? We grow most when we are under pressure. We grow most when we are being challenged the greatest. We get stronger when we put our bodies under work. We don't we don't prepare ourselves for hiking Medicine Bow Peak by eating popcorn and peanut M&Ms at 9 o'clock at night before we go to bed. That's a whole lot more enjoyable, right? But it's not better. See, he's not saying that praise is, is bad. He's saying, but there's something better. And, and if we can see rebuke as being better than praise. I, a long time ago, I was in a preaching class and I was youth pastor here, and I was in seminary, and I had to gather up this group of people from the church here. Uh, some of you here were on that team. And um, my, my preaching prof said, okay, here's the deal. He had this list of instructions. They had to actually fill out evaluation form while I'm preaching. And uh, then they had to sit together and listen to the sermon and talk about things. Not with me there, but... Um, and then they had to fill out a report and send it to my professor. And, and then he would have a conversation with me about it. And he was very specific to tell that group of people that what he was not looking for was fluffy praise. What he was looking for was criticism. Because he said, the preacher is not going to get better by getting a bunch of fluffy praise. What he needs is constructive criticism. He needs to understand that there are things. Yeah, and let me tell you what, I was, I had a pretty big chip on my shoulder when I went to my first preaching class, and boy, did God set me straight. In fact, I uh, took every, I, I later took every class I possibly could from this very older preaching prof. And after class one day, I, I, 
I apologized to him. I said, I don't know if you noticed, but that first class, I was, I was, I was arrogant. I didn't think you had anything to teach me. I said, I was wrong, and I want to learn everything I can from you. You see, that's where we need to be in our relationship with God, right? Because if we think we know it all, that's when the enemy has us right where he wants us. And we become unteachable to God. If, 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 see, if we're living a dangerous lifestyle, if, if we're living sinful, risky, uh, we're making sinful, risky, unhealthy decisions, we don't need our friends to praise us. If our friends love us, they will set us down and say, I love you, man. You got to knock this off. This is what the Bible says. This isn't coming from me. I mean, I'm communicating this to you in love. I love you. Um, but I, we don't need kisses heaped upon us if we're not living how we should live. That's not what we need. Rebuke is better than praise. The enemy, the enemy would... would uh, would cheer on other people if they are praising us in our sin. He, he cheers on our nation when we take a month to celebrate sin. He cheers on our nation when we don't make the decisions that we should with the laws that we should. No, what we need is a loving person willing to help us get back on track. There is a time for everything. Sorrow is better than laughter. Rebuke is better than praise. A third reminder is that the long haul is better than the shortcut. Number, uh, verse 7, extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Bottom line, shortcuts don't deliver what they promise. Uh, gambling, get-rich-quick schemes, bribery, angry outbursts, impatience, short fuses, they're not filled with patience, are they? It's, I want this now. And it's the, we, we soak and simmer in this every day of our life. When we're camping and we want to heat up leftovers, what do we do? We fire up the generator so we can use the microwave. Because, I mean, we can't be taking like five minutes to warm it up on the stove again. Right? That's the culture that we live in. Immediate, 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 immediate. And we've been, we begin to work that into how we make decisions and, 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 our, and, and impatience. Wisdom, taking what we have learned through experience or gained from another's experience, in this case Solomon's, and applying it to the present. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If that's not you, don't resign yourself to the fact that that's just who you are. Recognize that that's sin and figure out a way to, to be more patient to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We've got to remember that life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It, it really is. And it is indeed a, a marathon where the steady, wise pace wins the race of life. 
And the fourth better, better than found in this chapter is that today is better than yesterday. Today is better than yesterday. Verse 10, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. How many of you have said that or heard that said in the last 24 hours, let alone the last week or the last month? We make those statements about our schools. We make those statements about our education. We make those statements about our country. And we all pine for the good old days. I don't care what age you are right now. You can think of things in the past that were better than they, that they, than they seem to be today. Solomon says, it's not wise to ask such questions. He's saying, don't live in the past and don't get over fixated on the future. Because when we do, we forget to live for today. I mean, first of all, today has plenty of troubles of its own, right? Again, Solomon isn't saying don't ever consider things from the past. He's not saying don't remember history. He's, he's also not saying don't ever plan for the future. There is a time for everything. It's about balance. And if, if we're spending more time thinking about the past or more time thinking about the future than we're thinking about the present, then Houston, we've got a problem. A, a Victorian writer, uh, Hilaire Bellick, wrote, while you are dreaming of the future or regretting the past, the present which is all you have, slips from you and is gone. That's all Solomon is saying. There is a time for everything. There are times for laughter and praise and thoughts on yesterday, and even there are even certain times for shortcuts. But those things that are profitable... When God-given especially sorrow, correction, steady patience, and presence in today are better. They're better. Wisdom, God-given wisdom empowers and brings those things alive in our life for our good. You see, wisdom can make life better. Solomon has turned a quarter. Number two, wisdom also helps us see life clearly, right? Uh, we get in trouble when we base our decisions in life on feelings, or at least pulls us in a direction that does not honor God. Wisdom helps us keep those in check. Uh, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, he writes, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair for giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings and riddles of the wise the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline we got to start with reverence for god
And we live in a world that acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, really, is that number one on people's top ten list of things to do with their life? Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't feel like it. Should be. Uh, four things. Wisdom helps us see wealth clearly. Uh, verse 11. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. We just need to be wise with the blessings of God. He is our provider. Wealth is, wisdom is better than wealth. And, and we may be consciously or subconsciously furrowing our brows right now because we're like, well, how, does, how does this all make sense? What wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and, and benefits those who see the sun Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But I thought money was empty. Well, money can be empty. It, it's, it's perspective. It's, it's who are we serving and who are we living for. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Wisdom can't be taken away. Like wealth. Uh, there is a time for everything, but wisdom is better. Wisdom has a greater return on the investment than wealth. And it does shelter us and protect us. It helps us, it helps us make decisions more clearly when we are using wisdom. When we're not just responding to a feeling or a hormone, wisdom helps us it also helps us to see at or at the very least resign ourselves to the fact that god's god is provident he is sovereign consider verse 13 what god has done who can straighten what he has made crooked now crooked in this sense is not sinful like a crooked politician Crooked, more like a crooked road. Why, did they, why didn't they make that road straight? Right? Have you ever asked that question? It, it would be a lot closer to that place if that road was straight. Right? But I bet if we talked to somebody in, in history, they would be able to tell us why that road wasn't made straight. There was a purpose behind its crookedness. See, Solomon is saying, look, there's things that God has made crooked he wants them that way. We can't change that. We need to resign ourselves to the fact that God did that and be okay with that. God makes straight things too. We can't change those things. Who can change the ways of the Lord? In fact, why would we even want to? He, he created all things. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. Why would I, who can't create anything, um, and I am certainly not all-powerful, though sometimes I think I am in certain areas, right? I can't see the whole universe in one look. Not even all that I know and love can I see all at once. Why on earth would I want to do something different than what God has sovereignly provided? 
were set into motion. No, out of wisdom, I need to resign myself to the fact that he knows what's best, period. End of story. Parents, how many times would, would you just smile and be very thankful if your son or daughter did everything you told them the first time without argument, without conversation? Because you were the parent and you're the authority over them and you, you said go do this and they just did it. Right? I see lots of people smiling like that has never happened in my entire life. Well, it doesn't because we're all sinful human beings, right? But that's kind of, what, that's kind of where God is. Hey, I, I've done this for you. I've provided this for you. And, and this is what you need to do to take care of this. And this is, this is the decision you need to make. And this is how I want you to live your life. And, and if we just said, okay. But God, why did you, why did you make that crooked? Or why did, you, why did you not heal my mother when we asked you to? That, that kind of seems like a crooked thing to me. Not, again, crooked not as in wrong or sinful, but crooked in that I just don't, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand the why. So I could fight that my entire life, or I could resign myself to the fact that God is sovereign over all things. He knows what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he allowed that to happen. So then my next step is, who now, who now am I to be in my relationship with God without my mother in my life? I mean, I have lots of answers to that question. I don't know if they're right or wrong or if they're even close. Some of them are comforting, some of them are not. Bottom line is, even if we never ever understand this side of glory or even the other side of glory, why God does what he does when he does it, it doesn't change anything. He loves us. He saved us. He wants what's best for us. Uh, no, you know what? Out of wisdom, we just need to resign ourselves to the fact that he knows what's best. Uh, wisdom does help us to see more clearly. The, the, serenity, the serenity prayer fits here. Oh God, give us serenity to accept what cannot be changed. Courage to change what should be changed. And wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. That's not biblical. That came from a, a theologian many years ago, and, and honestly one who I don't agree with everything that he believed. But that, I, I think it's just very true. There are things that we just have to accept. We can't change them. And that could be the crooked thing that God wills. And, and we need to have the courage to change things that should be changed. That sin that you're unwilling to give up or that attitude or whatever, man, you got to have the courage to do whatever it takes. And, and then there are those times where we need to decide, is this something that I need to try and change or is this something that I just need to leave? Wealth, providence, adversity, and prosperity. When times are good, verse 14, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Huh. 
We don't know the future. We can't know the future. We can read signs. We can, uh, we can make plans. But ultimately, God's plans are the ones that are going to happen. Wisdom gives us a perspective so that, we're, that, that we aren't discouraged when times are difficult or they happen differently than what we had planned or arrogant when things are going well. Like, ha, I did this. This, 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 this is just, wow, smooth as something. Butter came to mind, but I don't know if that was a saying or not. Um, see, both are from the Lord. Difficult times and good times. Uh, when Job's wife told him to curse God and die, what was his reply? Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. It, it doesn't seem like about the time we have an explanation for something, that something changes. Or when we finally think we figure something out, we, uh, it, it, it then becomes different uh, and we have to throw out the formula. I think that's where Job's friends went wrong. They were trying to use an old roadmap to guide Job on a brand new journey and the map didn't fit. No matter how many things we experience in the Christian life or how many books we read, we still have to walk in faith. We still have to cling to him. We still have to trust him. Not the world, not our things, none of that. Wisdom helps us walk in that faith. And then there's righteousness and sin. In this meaningless life of mine, verse 15, I have seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Ah, it should chew on that one for a while. It's a matter of balance. See, as we, as we consider righteousness and sin, um, this helps us stay away from arrogance in our righteousness and per permissiveness in our sin. It helps us recognize that we can't earn our salvation through works and self-righteousness, and those that try still end up dead at the end of their life. Right? We're all going to die. Short of Jesus Christ returning, which his plans are not mine. I don't know when that's going to happen. Whoever fears God, Solomon says, will avoid the extremes. So where do we start? We start with God. We fear him. We humble ourselves before him. We seek him for wisdom. Not psychologists, not that they don't have good things to say. Not, you know, teachers or professors or whatever. Not that they don't have good things to say. But, but the, the ultimatum, the ultimate measuring stick is God and his word. That's where we have to go, and we have to be willing to surrender to it, or we will gravitate to one extreme or the other. We will become self-righteous and arrogant, or completely permissive and sinful. 
so many applications to all of these thoughts of Solomon to our daily lives. I hope that you wrestle over this chapter for the rest of this week. And then, and then number three is we uh, walk in wisdom. Wisdom will help us face life stronger. Verse 20, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Wisdom will help us face sin stronger. Um, Wisdom keeps us fighting the spiritual battle that our daily lives are. It is a daily spiritual battle. The enemy is out to kill and steal and destroy us, so we must stay active and aware of his attempts to deceive us and to get us to go down a trail that leads to destruction. But it promises, oh, great things. Maybe entertainment, maybe pleasure, uh, maybe notoriety. Uh, maybe, Maybe we're just somehow being deceived and convinced that God's holding back on us, just like he, he did Adam and Eve. Um, and we must also keep in the front of our minds what John reminded us of in John, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, I have all of verses 5 through 10 up here on the screen, but uh, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we walk... Or if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Salvation. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Look, if if you ever give off the impression to someone that you're better than they are because you sin less, ah, wrong, John is saying, whoa, you deceive yourself if you think you have no sin. And and then here's his answer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We acknowledge the reality and we cling to him. We anchor ourselves to Jesus Christ. Uh, We can face sin in our lives and around us stronger if we walk humbly with our God. If we fear God, we avoid the extremes. Um, We can also face what people say about us stronger when we're walking in the wisdom of God. Do not pay attention, verse 21, to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. (laughs) Right? I mean, we just simply aren't perfect. That's what he's saying. And, and oh man, I know this to be true of me. And, and what it should do is humble me. So that when I see someone else cursing me, I recognize that there have been times where I have cursed someone else. And just as I need their forgiveness, don't they deserve mine? That's hard. This hard stuff. I mean, what, what the truth of that, those two verses help me, it helps me to, to not be so judgmental of others. I'm not saying don't stand up for the truth. I'm not saying don't share the truth. But as we do, that truth is couched in grace and mercy. Mercy. 
Jesus didn't respond to the woman at the well by calling her a fool. He responded to her with truth and love. And she experienced the forgiveness of God in that moment. Now, he didn't say just go live your life how you want, right? That was not the expectation as the woman who was brought to Jesus to be stoned. He said, go and sin no more. Wisdom also helps us face life stronger, even in our inability to grasp the meaning of all that God is doing in this world. That's a long one. All this, Solomon says, verse 23, I tested by wisdom and said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. We all want to be wise, I think, I would hope. And Solomon's like, all of this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. Man, he's really turned a corner here, hasn't he? I mean, he's like laying his life before God. It, it, he's, he's acknowledging here in between the lines that, that, that none, of this, none of this understanding or wisdom comes from me. It comes from God. And it did. It literally did in Solomon's case. I mean, he's referring here again to the providence and sovereignty of God. Many times we just have to trust him. Rest our faith in him alone. And, and we also need to be willing to let things be a mystery. How many people in this room can uh, realistically and technically describe a combustion engine? Raise your hand. Okay, I, I see a few hands. All right. Now, all the rest of you, do you feel bad that you don't? Did you come here in a car? So you benefit from a combustion engine, even though you don't know how it actually works right? Now, I'm not trying to compare God to a combustion engine car, but the line of thinking is the same. I don't have to understand everything about God in order to sit in the seat of his will and to live life under his authority and in his power. Just like I don't have to understand everything about a combustion engine car to get in and drive long distances. There are things about rocket science, not even a clue, but I love to watch jet engine airplanes fly in the air. And I'm in awe of them. But how they work, mostly a mystery. I've tried, I've watched YouTube videos. I just don't get it. I like the fact that my refrigerator in my camper keeps my food cold on propane with a flame. How does that work? Heat to make things cold. I don't, I, that's another one. I've seriously watched a couple videos on. I just don't, I, don't, I know it's, 
alcohol and other things, you know. I, I don't, I'm okay with the mystery, actually. I like my soda cold. I like my food not to spoil. I'm good with that. Let's be that way with God. We don't have to understand all of the... I'm not saying don't seek after his mysteries. We need to, we need to seek after the unsearchable riches of God. Searchable riches of Christ. But when we come to something that we just can't quite understand, we don't chuck the baby out with the bathwater. We say, yes, it's a mystery. Oh, God, you are, you are awesome. I'm okay with that mystery. The final thing is the sinfulness of humanity in general. I mean, he, he goes on to here, and he's a little harsh on women, but they would have been in that culture. Uh, I, find, I find more bitter than death the women the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. Now, Solomon saw that in his own life um, with many, 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 many of them, right? It's part of his searching. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things while I was still searching but not finding I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. Help me with that if you can. Um, Again, I think it has to do with the culture in that day. And then then verse 29. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Bottom line in the last few verses in chapter 7. He's saying, we're all lost without God. And it happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. When they gave in to the deceit and the schemes of Satan. And and ever since then, we continue. We're not good with just sinning the way that that the world presents. No, we got to come up with even worse things. Right? We devise schemes of sin. and, And we get trapped by a lot of things If we stray away from the vine that is God, we've got to stay attached to the vine. That is where our life is. Wisdom, see Solomon has proved his point in the end. Wisdom can make our lives better and clearer and stronger. And we may not fully understand all that God is doing, but he will give us enough wisdom to live for the good of others and to the glory of God in this present age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you give us the hard things. Help us to not rebel against those, but, but to melt in your presence and to listen and to grow, to become wiser, to be saved from the extremes. Lord, I pray that, that as all of us are here today, present and online, that that we would evaluate our life and, and recognize if we truly have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ as our Savior, and if, if we have not, that we would, would do that in this very moment. That we would call on the name, the only name that saves, and that's Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we live our lives, as we work our jobs, as we, uh, as we uh, um organize our homes and our households and our businesses. God, may our 
May our biggest priority be humbly surrendering and submitting to you and then listening to you as we then involve ourselves in all of those other things that you have blessed us with and given us. Lord God, grow us, strengthen us. And now, Father, as we sing this last song, we we just want to worship you. We want to call out to you as the God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.